on. All right. Amen. Thank you, preacher. Amen. Sure is good to be here this morning. Amen. You hope you feel that way. Uh, I promise you this, it beats any jail cell across this country. Amen. And uh, no, it's a joy to be at the house of God. And I appreciate your pastor and his family. And uh, was trying to figure up how long I was anyway, trying to figure how long we've known each other. And uh, been been well over a decade. That's it. That's exactly where it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but it's been it's been over a decade, and uh, you know it's a uh, a joy to joy to be with them and see how God's used their lives, and uh, just what a blessing. Uh, appreciate your hospitality. Thank you so much for the for the hotel room and uh, the, the meal last night, Miss Lisa. Thank you for that. And, uh, no, no, brother, brother Bell had less to do with it than you did. So uh, I appreciate that. The ice cream afterwards, fellowship is all wonderful. Uh, appreciate the the teaching this morning. Uh, I, I told told brother Glenn we're in a lot of churches across this country, and a lot of setting a lot of Sunday school lessons, and a lot of them uh, you're bored out of your mind. I'll just be honest. You sit there and think, man, my goodness, my seven year old son could do better than this. Uh, but what we heard this morning was top tier, uh, well well studied, well presented, and I so appreciate that. And if you miss Sunday school, man, live next Sunday, I'd do everything I could. I'd leave on Saturday night if I had to, just get here on time, be here for Sunday school. And uh, it, was, it was a blessing, it was a blessing. Tell you a little bit about myself and about the ministry God's placed us in. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go back. Go way back and bring you up, and I uh, hope we are right with time on that. But uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not raised around the things of God. Uh, I'm the baby of ten children, and uh, my brothers and sisters, by and large, are a bunch of drunks and potheads, and uh, and all the mess that goes on with that. You know, I want to glorify sin, but it was a mess. It was a mess around our house, and. Uh, Little boy growing up, I watched my brothers and sisters and seen how they lived. And honestly, you know, little boy looks up to his siblings and I aspire to be like them. And uh, I can still smell and, and hear and uh, all the sights and the sounds and the smells that went on with that are still uh, very vivid in my mind even to this day. But, uh, you know, Sunday mornings usually uh, consisted of somebody turning on Jimmy Swaggart. And as soon as he went off, they would turn on something along the lines of if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie. And uh, that's where we got our theology from. I don't recommend that, that you get your theology from either of those sources. But both of them together cause a lot of confusion in a little boy's mind. Uh, but that's what we grew up in. It's what I was around. And uh, when I was about eight years old, my, one of my older brothers, uh, got two older brothers. One of my brothers got divorced from his first wife. And moved back in with me and my parents. Come home from work one day, and he said, "He said I met a preacher at work." He said, uh, <laughs> "Yeah." He said, uh, "He said ain't anything like what we've seen on TV." He said, "This man's real." He said, "I want to go here and preach Sunday," and. Uh, I hope I never forget the conversation that ensued around that table that day. My daddy turned to mama. He said, you know, he said, we've tried everything else with the other nine. He said, nothing's worked. Yeah. 
I remember, ch- I remember getting in the car with Daddy and him chasing them through the night, trying to find out where my brothers and sisters were, finding my brothers often passed out in a boat where they'd huff glue all night. He said, we've tried everything else and we're losing them. He said, let's take Jody to church. That Sunday, rolled around. We went to Sunday school. First time in my life I'd ever been to church. We went to Sunday school. and Sunday morning, that preacher preached with a heart full of compassion. And preached the word of God. I'd never heard or seen anything like it. Sunday night, we went back. Wednesday night rolled around and went back to church. We didn't know anything about God, but I sure am glad Mom and Daddy got faithful to the house of God. It made a difference in our home. You hear me? It made a difference in our home. I want to tell you, you won't go wrong raising your family in church. You ain't got to understand everything that's going on. They ain't going to understand it all. But I'm telling you, it'll make a difference in your children's life having them around the preaching of the Word of God. Well, time passed and I learned how to do church. You hear me? I learned what to say and how to say and what worked and what didn't work for convenience sake. And Like I said, I was about nine years old and I smarted off to my mom on the way to church one morning. and My daddy turned around in the back seat while he looked in the back seat. He was driving. He looked in the back seat. He said, you getting it when you get home, boy. I don't know what that means here in Oklahoma. But in Georgia, where I'm from, it meant I was forevermore going to get tore out the frame when we got to the house. And I was fearful for life and limb and property. Amen. It was, it was dangerous. And, uh, but I had watched my friends go down and make professions and said they got saved. and seemed like they got out of trouble when they did that. So I made a conscious decision before I ever got out of the car what I was going to do. And as soon as invitation was given, I went down to the altar, got up, said I got saved. Said all the words that I had heard others say. Left there unchanged, but I didn't get a whooping. Problem was, I was still in trouble with the Holy God. Time passed on, and I was 13 years old. It was March the 12th, 1991. Evangelist Milton Taylor came by our church. That name probably means nothing to most of you or any of you. Brother Milton Taylor got a speech impediment, and First night of revival, he was preaching. I made fun of him. I sit back here and made fun of the man of God. Thank God for the grace of God. But that next night. He got up. I don't know the text he took. By this time, I'd heard enough preaching to save the world ten times over. I knew what I needed to do to be saved. I don't know the text he took or the message he preached. But he made a statement. He said, some of you have a head knowledge of God, but no heart knowledge. I sat back about four rows back. And the Holy Ghost of God picked that statement up in my heart and said, Jody, you're going to die and go to hell. You don't repent of your sins and trust me as your Savior. I remember gripping that pew and ringing my Bible and just, I couldn't have peace. And I, I thought I was going to die and go to hell sitting where I was. Nobody told me I could get saved right where I was at. 
But oh, as soon as the invitation was given, I ran just as fast and hard as my little fat legs would carry me and slid in the old-fashioned altar, begged the Holy God to forgive me of my sins. And church made a difference in our home, but that day made a change in my life. Amen. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things became new. God made a change in my life when he saved me that day. And I want to tell you, I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know where you're at. But I can tell you this morning, there's a holy, loving God in heaven that will forgive you if you'll ask him. He's waiting with open arms to save you, to receive you and himself. If you'll just call on him this morning, I promise you, he'll make a change in your life. Got saved, and I said, our preacher always says that God didn't save you to sit and sour. God saved you to serve him. After I got saved, I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do as long as you don't call me to preach. I was so shy and timid, you wouldn't know that today, but I was so backward, I wouldn't hardly say my name in class at school. I was just timid. Long about my 15th birthday, God began working in my heart about the call to preach. I said, not me, Lord. There's others, but not me. I can't do it. I'll do anything you want me to do, but I can't do that. One week before my 16th birthday, my brother-in-law had gotten saved in drug rehab. Yeah. God had called him to preach. He was standing on the street corner preaching the word of God. Mm. I leaned into my preacher under such burden and just a call of God on my life, and I knew it was there. Voice changing, all that mess. I leaned into my preacher. I said, Preacher, God's called me to preach. He didn't say anything. Built up the courage, say it again. I said, Preacher, I said, God's called me to preach. He said, I heard you, son. He said, When Doug's done, he said, You get your Bible and preach. I thought you got a two-week notice or something. No, I didn't know it was supposed to happen then. I'm glad it did. That's what I needed. I needed to be pushed out if that's what God had called me to do, and I'm glad he did. But if that that was indeed the fact, I needed the push to go ahead and preach then. Several years passed, and I was praying about what God wanted me to do. Doug and Marianne had gone to, uh, to Romania as missionaries, and I was praying about what God wanted me to do. and was in a missions conference. A missionary got up. We had probably 20 young preachers in the church at the time. And the missionary got up. He said, you know, he said, a lot of times, he said, you think, he said, I know. He said, I always thought this. He said, you think the deep, dark jungles of Africa or red China, you think of that as missionaries, and that's the mission field. He said, but the fact is, he said, there's places like Scotland that needs the gospel. It needs missionaries. I went down as a 17-year-old boy. I went down and said, Lord, if you'll use me in Scotland, I'll go. That was the end of it as far as I was concerned. Really, I continued to pray, and I had a burden for Scotland. And when I met my wife, met Ginger, when I proposed to her, I told her, I said, I don't know what all it means, but I got a burden for Scotland. And she began to weep and said that about the same time, God had dealt with her heart and burdened her for Scotland. uh, under that burden, we even tried to do deputation back in uh, early uh, 2000s, early, well, late 90s. Uh, we tried to do deputation to go to Scotland, but God's timing was not right. And uh, it was a burden, and that's all it was. And there's a difference in a burden and a call. 
And uh, I thank God for a burden, but I thank God for a call. And um, Lord let me travel as a full-time evangelist for a number of years, let me pastor in two different churches. And while I was pastoring in Laudy, Florida, down in northeast Florida, uh, God began to deal with me and remind me of that promise I had made him that I'd go to Scotland if that's what he wanted. And it seemed like every passage I read in studying and preparing for, for preaching, God would remind me of that promise I'd made him and tell me, I want you to go to Scotland. And I'd get down to pray for our missionaries, and the Lord would remind me of Scotland. I'd say, Lord, bless the missionaries in Scotland. The Lord said, that's not what I'm dealing with you about. I want you to go. And uh, we left the pastorate and, and uh, struggled, just struggled. Didn't want to go. Who wants to leave Florida? All right. Sunny Florida where people are tired to go to. Who wants to leave that and go to rainy, dreary Scotland? But God wanted me there. And uh, we was in a missions conference again. And the missionary got up and read John 2 verse 5. Whatsoever he saith unto ye, do it. I sat back on the pew. I said, Lord, I know what you want me to do. But God, I can't. I said, right now the economy's bad. It don't make, this 2011. I said, the economy's bad. It don't, it don't make financial sense to go on deputation right now. That missionary said, I don't know why I'm telling you this. He said, it's not really got nothing to do with the message I'm preaching. He said, but when I surrendered to go to Mexico as a missionary, he said, the economy was so bad they were rationing out fuel. He said, it was bad. He said, but God took care of me. Man. He said, God will take care of you if you'll do what he tells you to do. I said, all right, fair enough, Lord. I was sitting back in the back. That missionary had no idea, but God did. God used the preacher to help answer some questions for me. I said, all right, Lord. I said, well, that's, that's fine and good, but Lord, I got a $100 bill in my pocket. I got a tank of gas in the car, and I got two kids that's going to be hungry along the way. It's going to take more than $100 to do deputation. That missionary said, you know, he said, I, I really, he said, I'm really struggling as to why I'm supposed to tell you all this. He said, but. When I surrendered to Mexico, he said, I had $50 in my pocket, didn't have no gas in the car. He said, had two kids in the back seat saying, Daddy, I'm hungry. He said, but God's provided. Can I tell you, you can look at all 300 none of your business pounds of me and tell God has taken good care of me. God has provided every step of the way. We got to Scotland, stepped out on deputation on, by faith, just stepped out on, on faith and just started deputation that day. I started making phone calls that day. I figured if God's called me, I need to just go ahead and do it. Some of that went back to way back when, when, when I announced the call to preach. I just got started. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know about preparation times and all that stuff. I just started. I found out what God wanted, and I just did what God wanted. Amen. You won't go wrong when you find out what God wants in your life. You won't, find, you won't go wrong just getting started with what God told you to do. Don't delay it. Don't put it off. When God tells you what to do, do it then. Amen. You won't regret it. And uh, we started deputation, got the, to the field in 2016, wasn't real sure about where to go. We thought we knew where we were going. Then God changed our plans, redirected us, rerouted us, put us in Dumfries, Scotland, as the preacher told you. And uh, we settled there and, and uh, knew that was where God wanted us to start. And uh, we started the Bible Truth Baptist Church in Dumfries in uh, July, the first Sunday in July of 2017. And uh, we've seen people say, man alive, I thought 
Preacher, I thought when we went, I thought it'd be our family for the first five years. Honestly, that's the way I was prepared. You, you've studied. You know how the UK is, especially Scotland. They're cold. They're, they reject the gospel at every turn. They think they're fine because they were baptized as infants. And Calvinism has destroyed that nation. It'll destroy this one if we don't start standing up preaching against it and dealing with it. But it's destroyed that nation. It's destroyed those people. And, but we've seen people saved. We've seen people repent of their sins and trust Christ as their Savior. And uh, pre-pandemic, we, uh, we had a group of, uh, are we live streaming at all? Okay, I'm going to use a word that's not, I try to be careful, but we'd call them gypsies. Uh, had a group of gypsies there. We'll call them travelers that uh, started coming. And uh, so pre-pandemic, had them, had about 40, 40 45 people uh, coming on a fairly regular basis had moved a number of times. We, we moved out of communities, out of a community center that we started in, moved into an office complex, and uh, had to move rooms from that one office we were in, outgrew it, had to move to another, and then pandemic hit. And uh, missed a pandemic, things shut down. It was, it was very different in Scotland. Uh, we were not allowed to travel uh, more than five miles from our home. Uh, problem was we lived... Uh, we lived 30 miles uh, from our church where we were at, and so it made it made it difficult. And we just looked for ways to try to meet and assemble, and you know, and do it uh, where where if we did get caught, maybe it wouldn't be no jail time. If anything, we'd have a penalty, but not jail time. We were still in the process of trying to get our permanent residency, so we were trying to be extra careful so we didn't get kicked out of the country. And there's a balance we were trying to find and still serve God, and. and uh, we uh, we learned after a little while they'd let us meet in cafes and you could you, you couldn't really meet in a cafe but you could go to a cafe and have tea or coffee and a and a snack so I would let the congregation know what cafe I was going to be at on Sunday <laughs> and uh, where table I planned to sit out and they would sit at a closer table and you know and and uh, we just we did church in a very uh, un, uncommon way. And uh, we found out that, that folks at the, at the cafes, we noticed they would, they would lean in. They would come over. It didn't matter what they were doing. They would stop what they were doing. They'd come over to our table or near our table, and they'd start to clean. Same spot, wearing a spot down. And they was, we, we, in, South, in, in Georgia, where I'm from, we call it long-earing. Y'all know what long-earing is? They, they lean and out. They listening. And uh, so it didn't matter. When I seen them do that, it didn't matter what I was teaching on or preaching on. I always went to salvation, dealt with salvation, and tried to tried to give them something they needed to hear. And and uh, then after pandemic, <clears throat> after that lifted, we uh, we continued to to talk with those those same servers, those same employees, and they've asked questions, and they're still asking questions. And it's a slow process. It ain't it ain't like it is a lot of times here. And I know it's not always this way here in America, but a lot of times people have some semblance, some idea of the gospel. Uh, there they have no idea they they don't know what you're talking about they don't know they because they've been baptized as an inf infant right they're good they, they everything's settled and whether they ever attend church or read their bible or do anything for god they were baptized as an infant so everything they're good according to them so to hear the gospel plain and true uh boy it takes some time for that to process in their heart and mind and you pray we've got several we've been working with and i can give you a list a mile long but uh, there's one man I want you to pray for specifically. He was not part of the cafe, but he was one of the men that we met right away. 
I, I learned the Scottish people, you, you deal with them all differently. Uh, we got a man named Max. When we first went over, God gave us a tent. They told me, preacher, we couldn't do a tent ministry in Scotland. It would never work. And the Lord gave us a tent. Matter of fact, it was Brother Van Voltenberg's old tent. And uh, needed some repairs. Well, I was glad to do the repairs. Repairs are not a problem. A free tent was a blessing. And uh, we put the tent up in late August. And the winds were blowing much like they do here. And, and uh, they, they told us, they said, we're going to have 100 mile an hour winds uh, this week. Said, said 75 sustain and, and 25 gusts. So going to be 100 mile an hour winds. You sure you want to put that tent up? And I believe God wanted me to put the tent up. And uh, went out there, and they, we set the tent up, and then them winds come through, and somebody hollered, said, the tent's flying away, and the stakes had lifted. And I went out there, and I held on like I was going to do something, you know, and it lifted me and the tent up. And if you ever seen Mary Poppins where they talk about flying a kite, I was flying a tent, and uh, not sure where we was going, but we was going somewhere. And, and uh, so we set the tent up, and uh, man, just packed out. God did a work in, in, that, in that tent meeting, and we've tried to do it every year since, but... Uh, after that, after the tent meeting, we were putting things away, and we didn't have we didn't have benches or chairs to put under the tent, so we'd borrowed some from the community center. They were uh, eight foot long with cast iron ends and oak uh, oak slats, and uh, one of the Scotsmen there helped us, Max, and Max, a little short, stocky Scotsman, and uh, he and another man were were taking the benches. They had to go about fifty yards carrying them. And, They'd walk five or ten feet and set it down, and Max would say, ah, he's sorry, Americans, he's no good Americans. And yeah, I'll be honest with you, it's hurting my American pride. I was, I was getting frustrated, and I felt it coming up in me, and I knew I was frustrated. And, uh, you know, we're patriots. We love this country. And, you know, and hear somebody downgrade our nation was hard to hear. And I finally, I'll be honest with you, I was in the flesh, and I had all I could take, and I went and I shoved Max out of the way. I said, get out of here. I said, go on. I said, I got it. I grabbed that bench out of frustration and anger and tossed it up on my shoulder, my back screaming at me, my legs screaming at me, how dare you do this to us? And I carried the bench and set it down, and I walked back by him. I said, Max, I don't want to hear no more bad-mouthing. I said, had it not been for America, and I said some things I shouldn't have said to him about America and how America had saved them out of trouble. And, and uh, I told him, I said, here's the thing, brother, here's the thing, Max. I said, I came from America. I left everything I know and love behind to come here to preach the gospel to you. I said, I'm not going to let you run America down. I said, I'm not running you down. I said, but Max, I said, I've had enough. I said, I want to be your friend. I said, but I've had enough. He tapped me on my, on my chest, and he said, you're all right, lad. He said, I appreciate you. Now, you couldn't separate me and Max now. Max one of my best friends there. But God, God let me have a bit of frustration. I ain't saying God let me be in the flesh, but God let me have a bit of frustration. I could have handled things better, but I got Max's respect, and I've been able over and over to give Max the gospel. Max will sit down. He's very proud that he's, that he's debt-free, and he'll say, I don't owe any man anything. And I said, well, Max, you still got a debt that's unpaid. Amen. Still got a debt that's unsettled. Now, I don't want to hear that, preacher. I don't want to talk about that. But you pray for Max. I really believe we're going we're gonna to get to see Max get saved. And, and, uh, but we've, we've seen God do a work, as I said. And uh, Just before we, we left, we left things. We had about eight people. After pandemic, we lost a lot, as so many others did. And we, we settled down to about eight people. And uh, then when we come on furlough, uh, you know, a lot of times it feels like it's, it's three or four steps forward and 110 backward. And uh, right now we're in that backward stage. We had a man that was 
opening and closing the church up for us in our stead. And uh, he decided while we were here to close the church down. And uh, got another man, Brother David Sellers, there. And uh, he was here in the States with us at that time. He's gone back and he's opened the church back up this second Sunday that they're having service with him. And uh, so I'm grateful for faithful men. Uh, there's a lot that will distract you and divert you, but I'm thankful for faithful men, faithful women who will carry on the work of God in, in our absence. But anyway, that's what's going on in Dumfries. I apologize for the length of that, but you've heard a little bit of my heart. Second Timothy chapter number three, while you're turning there, let me lay some groundwork here. Uh, in studying and looking at uh, missionaries' life and life of missions and what is missions, I, uh, the Lord let me come across a thought of requests of a missionary. Now, I realize I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, as you heard. I grew up around uh, preaching on missions and hearing about missions and I think a lot of times people hear missionary and they automatically think finances, finances and money. And, and, uh, but there's three requests that I can tell that Paul, the, the missionary, Paul made uh, in his writings and in his journey. I know there were other requests, but I think they can all still be summed up in three basic requests. In Philippians chapter 4, he commends the church at Philippi in their communication, and I believe there's a request in that that you would communicate. I believe the missionary today would say it this way, would you please communicate with us? Now, that is financial, but there's so much more to it than that. The current mode of communication among churches, independent Baptist churches and missionaries today works like this. Churches write a check for whatever the dollar amount. They send it whether monthly, uh, bi-monthly, quarterly, whatever. They send that, that check. They, they initiate the communication with a check saying here is, a, here is funds that we're praying for you. Use this to do the work that God's called you to. In return, a missionary writes a letter, again, monthly, quarterly, whatever, and a letter comes back, and that is the uh, listed of, of prayer requests, of work, of things going on within the work, and you understand where your mission dollars are going, and you get to read those, and they get posted oftentimes on a back wall somewhere, and that is where the communication ends until the next go-round. And that cycle repeats itself over and over. Church, can I tell you, I really believe the reason we see so many missionaries come off the field and don't stay on the field is because of a lack of communication. Try this, fellas. Try this. Write your wife a check. Give her a piece of money for the month or for three months and say, here's money, and let her just write you a letter with what she needs next and how things are going and how she spent that money and let that be all the communication that goes on in your home. Now, guys, that may sound like a good idea to some of you at first, but I promise you it's going to end up in disaster. It's going to end up in problem because she's going to need to hear from you more than just giving her money. It's not always about money. Though it feels that way when you go shopping, it's not always about money. She wants to hear from you. Sometimes she wants to walk across the room and just have that look in her eye that she needs a hug and needs an embrace from you. And the missionaries are the same way. We need to hear. We need that communication, not just from missionary to pastor, but missionary to the congregation. Pastors come and go. Unfortunately, that's the way it works. Pastors do leave. Pastors die. Pastors, whatever happens, they, but congregations stay. 
And missionaries need to hear from the congregation. It would be good and needful and helpful if your missionaries heard from you on a regular basis. So in Philippians 4, uh, it's, uh, he says, please communicate. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll deal with this today, he says in uh, verse number 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. We'll be uh, dealing with that here in a little bit. But he, he says, would you please continue? Churches, churches today are dropping at a rapid pace. We need, if ever before, we need churches to continue in the work that God has placed them in. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says to Timothy, he says in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Missionary request today is would you please come. We want you to come to the field. I want every one of you to come to Scotland. I want you to come. I want you to see the castles. I want you to see the ruins. I want you to see the, 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 the beautiful landscapes. I want you to see those, uh, the, those hairy cows. I want you to see it. Hey, I want you to see it all. I want you to see the, the Oreo cows and belted Galloway. They're black on each end, white in the middle. I want you to see all of that. I want you to hear the, the Scottish accent. I want you to eat the food. I want you to enjoy all that Scotland is. I want you to go away with the, with the sound of bagpipes ringing in your ears. I want you to enjoy all that Scotland is, but I want you to come not for that. I want you to come so you can see the men, women, boys, and girls that will die and go to hell unless God sends them a preacher. I want you to see the need of the souls of the men and women who are there. So he says, please come. Those, I believe, are the three. And you look at those other two. We'll deal with the second one this morning, God being our helper. But you look at those second two, those other two in Philippians 4 and in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, at your leisure and see if God will touch your heart about those things. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Spirit of God, how you've moved in this place. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for those, uh, those nudges and those gentle uh, squeezes on our heart, reminding us, Lord, of where you've brought us from. Help us to never forget. God, I pray if someone in this service, Lord, is lost and undone without you, and Lord, I believe that's probably the case in a congregation this size. I pray, God, that you would draw them to yourself. Help them, Lord, to see you for who you are, and Lord, in turn, they can't help but see themselves a sinner and in need of salvation. God, I pray that you'd draw them. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a congregation, help the church this morning, help me as I preach. Lord, we need you more than we need anything else, and I pray your blessings on the preaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Second Timothy chapter number 3, the Bible says in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Boy, if that ain't the day. They hate you for being you. You don't have to give people a reason anymore to not like you. You just got to be you. Because you identify as what God created you to be, they hate you. 
Because you're good to people, they hate you. Because you believe that King James Bible to be the Word of God, they hate you. Because you're in church today, they hate you. They are despisers of those that are good. And boy, I tell you, if we've ever lived in a day that's identified in these first four verses, it's today. He goes on, he says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, would you agree with me, church, that's a pretty good pretty good charge against the world and it pretty well explains how this world is and it, it explains what we live in today and amen do you agree with that that's not who he's talking about look with me in verse 5 having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away you tell me when the last time you've seen the world have a form of godliness tell me I've never seen it. In my nearly 45 years of life on this earth, I have never seen the world act godly and have a form of godliness. No, the world is worldly. They always have been. They're corrupt. They're evil. They're wicked individuals just like you and I were before we got saved. Ungodly, without God. You don't desire to know God. Don't want to do anything to do with God because you don't want a form of godliness. You want a form of flesh and a form of world and a form of wickedness. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about places that you and I would struggle today to reference as a church. In verse 6, he said, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. Can I tell you why they're led away? Because it's full of emotion. Why he mentions women, ladies, I'm not anti-woman, amen. I was born of a woman, I've got seven sisters, I've got a wife, I've got two, two daughters, I've got a mother-in-law, and if I'm against any of them, that's one I'm against. But I ain't against women, amen. But you know why he focuses on women? Because women act on emotion. Ladies, you know I'm right. You operate in emotion. You know what this crowd today, this emergent church and this all, this mess, you know who they're after? They're after emotions. And who do they draw? They draw women. And they act silly and it carries on and it's a bunch of garbage. A, a Scottish word, it says a bunch of rubbish the way people act and behave. And they're drawing out of, of churches of sound doctrine. They're drawing them away because they see the emotionalism. They see the excitement. They hear the music. They see the lights. They see the sounds. And they say, oh, I like that. That makes me feel good. And much different than the preaching of the Word of God where instead it don't make me feel good. Most of the time it convicts me it causes me to need a place in the altar instead of want to clap and, oh, I feel just so good when I leave church. Sometimes, most of the time, I don't want to feel good. Most of the time, I feel a need to go to the altar. I'm glad for those moments when I leave church rejoicing, but usually that happens after I've repented and made things right with God. But this crowd, all that they hate, all that they like, all they're without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, boy, if that ain't the case, I hear them all the time. They talk about they've left an independent Baptist. They call themselves uh, 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 reformers. They call themselves uh, new independent Baptists. They call themselves all sorts of names. But the fact is, they are truce breakers, they're incontinent, they're unholy, they're ungodly, they're without natural affection, they are a bunch of liars and cowards, but they want to draw you away to fill their coffers and to make you feel good about yourself. He says, for, he said, they're ever learning, verse 7, ever learning, 
Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, if that ain't the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest in all men as theirs also was. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came into me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Thank God for that. Ain't you glad? You may face trials. You may face some heartaches. But ain't you glad the Lord will deliver you out of them all? Verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving, being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I want to look at verse number 14. Submissionary's request. This is my request. Any missionaries you got on your wall out there that you support, I would say, if given the opportunity, this is their request. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of knowing of where you've learned. That ain't what it said, did it? Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. It's almost as if he points back to verse number 10. He said, you know of whom you've learned them. He said, you remember verse 10, he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. He tells a little bit about himself because that's, he is whom Timothy learned these things from. I thank God for a preacher, amen. Thank God for the man of God where we've learned of whom we've learned our doctrine to where we learn our Bible. I'm thankful for the man of God. I'm thankful for the people of God that have embraced us, that have helped us along the way. <coughs> Excuse me, that has taught us some things. <clears throat> I am so thankful for the men of God that God's placed in my life. I'm thankful. You ought to be thankful for the man of God. He said, You know my doctrine. Know <clears throat> my doctrine. You know why he didn't say where we've learned our doctrine from? So we didn't learn it from a place. We didn't learn it from an institution. We didn't learn it from a hierarchy. We didn't learn it from some papal supremacy in Rome. Amen? We know of whom we've learned our doctrine, not just from the preacher, but we can go on back to Paul and we can go on back to Christ and his disciples. We know of whom we have learned our doctrine. Our doctrine is what it has been through the ages. I used to say years ago, but Chris, I used to say I'm not preaching Baptist doctrine, I'm preaching Bible doctrine. I quit saying that some time ago. I am preaching Baptist doctrine because Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine. They are synonymous one with another. I am preaching Baptist doctrine. I'm a Baptist. Amen. I'm not preaching Catholic doctrine. I'm not preaching Methodist doctrine. I'm not preaching uh, Pentecostal doctrine. I'm not preaching Presbyterian or Anglican doctrine. I'm preaching Baptist doctrine. 
doctrine because Baptist doctrine is the doctrine of your King James Bible. Amen. And I'm glad I'm a Baptist this morning. Let me just explain some things to you. Can we step down just a minute? God be my helper. I want to step in just a little bit into a little bit of teaching mode. Somebody told me years ago, good preaching will have teaching in it and good teaching as we've seen this morning have some preaching in it. Amen. That's the way it ought to work. I'm thankful for that. But if I can, if the Lord help me, I'll step into teaching mode just for a moment and then we'll get back into the preaching if that's all right with you. You've heard the term people say, oh, I don't believe in denominations. Have you ever heard that? You ever say, well, what denomination are you? They'll ask that question. And you tell them, well, I'm, I'm a Baptist. Oh, well, I, I, you know, we're this. We're non-denominational. <clears throat> Can I tell you a little bit about that word denomination? Thank you. That'll be good. I'm glad you've got that. I have in my hand a very rare thing. It's a one-pound note. Most of the time they use coins. But this money is based on the pound sterling. It's based on, anybody know, the silver market. Had a U.S. dollar, and I don't even have my wallet. She's taking everything I got. <laughs> what she ain't taking, the girls take. And me and the boy just survive best we can. Thank you. See, I knew she had money. <clears throat> the U.S. dollar here. Now, used to at one time, back many, many years ago, this based on, anybody know? The gold standard. They've printed so much now, it really don't matter. It's not based on any standards. It's just a piece of paper, and I'm grateful that people accept it still. We got two pieces of currency that have a value, but they have a value based on completely different standards and a completely different backing. And these come in different denominations, one, five, ten, twenty, fifty, and a hundred. And if it's higher than that, if you'll let me hold on to that, if you've got a copy of one of them, I'd be grateful this morning. But those are the denominations that I'm familiar with. Those are the different denominations of this currency. This currency have different denominations, a one, five, ten. Well, no, it don't even come in a one commonly. We have one this morning, but one, five, ten, twenty, fifty. They don't even print hundreds anymore. <clears throat> Again, we've got this one pound note. If we were to go down to the grocery store today and probably couldn't even use this, this, this one here to buy it, but if we wanted to buy us a, a couple of them Reese's cups, the best candy God ever created. We wanted to buy us a couple of them Reese's cups, but we was going to pay with this. How many of them you reckon we could buy? None. You know why? Because this value of this is no good here. It's denomination. It's a denomination's monetary term. It denotes how much value is placed against the standard. When they tell you denomination, what they're doing is they borrowed that term. They borrowed uh, that from the financial market to say we want to know how much value you place against the standard of Rome, Catholicism. Anglican has a certain percentage. Probably with them, it's probably a $100 bill. Amen. 100, 100 pound note. That's how much the Anglicans brought from Catholicism. The Presbyterians, maybe, maybe 80. 80. You know, it's just different amounts that they brought with them from Rome in their doctrine. If you've ever been a part of any of those organizations, you know this. They talk about the Apostles' Creed. And in that Apostles' Creed, they give credence and they give acknowledgement to the Holy Catholic Church. And they pledge allegiance to that. As a Baptist, our denomination is not a denomination. It is a doctrine. 
we were never part of Rome, and because we were never part of Rome, we have no allegiance to Rome, and because we were never part of Rome, we have no doctrines of Rome. We have an allegiance to the Word of God. We have an allegiance to the doctrine found therein, and this is where we get our doctrine from. This is, and it's important to know what you believe and why you believe. Don't let people pigeonhole you with this matter of denomination. You are not a denomination. You're a Baptist. Can I put it this way? They say, oh, well, I just want to be a Christian. Good, be a Baptist, amen. Because we were never given, we were never ones to choose our name. It was always given to us. And in Antioch, and the Bible says they were called Christians first at Antioch. Then later they got different names, Paulicians, Waldensians, uh, Anabaptists. Later we dropped Anna and became Baptists. But the world and our, and our enemies have always been the one to give us our names. You want to be a Christian? Good, be a Baptist, amen. That's where you get your doctrine from. I'm not saying you can't be saved in one of those other organizations. But I am saying this, you cannot grow in them. You will be stunted in your growth. The, the doctrine of the Bible is a Baptist doctrine. You need to be in a Baptist church, amen, to grow in the Word of God. Amen. I hope that helped you. Amen. If it didn't, did anything, got it out of my crawl. And we can move on. But he said, you've known my doctrine. Doctrine's important. Doctrine, you have to decide that doctrine is important above all. Doctrine has to be important above finances. Doctrine has to be important above family. Doctrine has to be important above friends. And if it's not important above those things, then it doesn't matter at all. And let's chunk it to the side and go party with the Catholics and get drunk tonight. But it does matter. It does matter. And that's why we can't drink. And that's why we can't party. And that's why, that's why we ought to live a holy life. That's a, hey, and let me remind you, that is a doctrine. Holiness is a doctrine found in your Bible. Holiness is still demanded in God's Word. That she be holy because He is holy. <coughs> doctrine matters. Can I put it this way? He said, you've known where I stand. I hope this morning you've learned a little bit about where I stand. If you've got any question on it, see me after service. I'll clarify anything you want to know. But he said, you've known my stand. Church, we need you to continue. Your missionaries you support on that wall back there are counting on you to continue to stand where you have said you stood and to keep standing and don't bow, don't give in. There is a pressure that may not ever be spoken, but there's a pressure to change in your stand. There's a pressure, and it has been as long as I've been saved, there's been a pressure to change on your stand on the Word of God. There's been a pressure to change in your stand when it comes to music. There's been a pressure to change when it comes to your stand concerning modesty. There's always pressure to change your stand. We need you to continue, and all of that is doctrine. <clears throat> I grow weary. Seeing so many churches, I can't take my coat off. Can I move that and take my coat off? That all right? We're going to put that here. We're going to make an adjustment. I grow weary seeing so many churches here in America, and it's, it's in Europe too. But as was said this morning, in the last 200 years, God's not given a country more uh, blessings and more of truth than He has America. And I thank God for that, and I'm glad for that. But with that, I've, I'm growing weary of seeing so many change. In the past couple of years, we've had eight churches, and we've had others, but eight specifically concerning what I'm dealing with, to drop us with our support. Four of them were honest enough to call me and tell me they changed their doctrine, they changed their methods, they changed things. Four of them were at least honest enough to call and say, hey, we've changed. I appreciate that they had integrity 
integrity enough to call me. Amen. I don't want to be so hard that I look over that. But I had four others that they didn't, Brother Glenn, they didn't tell me. They didn't let me know. I found out about it. One thing about social media is it's very revealing. People post what they're comfortable with. And, man, I see stuff being posted. I see stuff being shared. And I think, man, if that's what you're comfortable sharing, what are you doing when ain't nobody else looking? What in the world's going on then? But I had four that I had to call. Boy, you talk about a hard call when you're already under-supported. I'm not complaining. God's been good. You can tell. But when you're already under-supported and you don't have enough and you're wondering where's the next meal coming from, how's things going to work, and it's been that way at times on the mission field, not just with us but others that I've talked to and have to call four churches and say, don't send any more money. If that's what you really believe, if that's what you are, you say, why would you do that? Out of fear, Brother Glenn. Out of fear, honestly. Not just because I believe what I believe, but what happens if you, now that you know a little bit about me, you happen to be traveling and you visit maybe with family and you visit that church and there you see my prayer letter upon the wall. I thought Brother Hodnett believed different than this. I didn't think Brother Hodnett supported this. But he must because he's, can two walk together except they be agreed? No. I'm tired of seeing churches change. I'm weary of it. I, can, can I be real just plain with you? And I, I know you don't know me and I don't really know you. We're getting to know each other. But it makes me angry. It makes me angry. It, make, it makes me want to go in there and flip some tables. And I ain't saying I'm Jesus, but that's what it, I understand a little bit about where he was at. It makes me angry. We need you to continue. We need to, I need to be able to point my three children back when times are tough, when we're struggling. I need to be able to point them back to a church here in Oklahoma that I can say, hey, I know of, a, I know of one church. Sooner Rose ain't changed, amen. Pastor Bell ain't changed. Things are still the same there. They're still preaching what we believe. They're still preaching the same gospel we are. They're still doing things the way we do things. Hey, there's a church that ain't changed. I need to be able to show my children that everybody ain't dipping their colors. Would you please continue? This request ought to be mutual. You ought to expect this, you missionary. Amen. I'm not letting us off the hook. It's a hey, you would you wouldn't tolerate a missionary changing, and missionaries ought not tolerate churches changing. Amen. Accountability is key and it's needed. If ever it's needed in this day and age that we live, we need accountability and we need you to continue in your stand. He goes on in verse 10. <clears throat> He said, you fully know my doctrine. Then he goes on, manner of life, purpose, and faith. If I can put it this way, you've known my service. You know you can't serve God just however you want to. You won't get saved just when you want to. Man, if that was the case, my little boy right here, you pray for him, Jay. Man, Jay wants to be saved so bad. I'm talking about bad. I believe he's under conviction. He won't hardly eat sometimes. He gets sick thinking about it. He wake up in the morning and say, what you thinking about Jason? I'm thinking about getting saved. He wants it. Man, he wants it. And I'm glad he wants it. But if that was all it took, just a want to, man, he'd already be saved. Wouldn't even be talking about it this morning. But it takes the Holy Spirit of God as we heard this morning, drawing a man, drawing an individual. You pray, 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 church, and the Holy Spirit of God will draw my boy. Mm. Jay, I believe God's going to deal with you one day soon, son. I believe you're going to get saved. 
you pray for him. But just like that, you can't just serve God however you want to. God has a way. God is an organized God. He is a God of plans. He is a God of order. And you can't just interrupt God with disorder and dysfunction and worship God and serve God however you want to. I'm telling you, I think about us in Ohio. You remember the ark of God was there at Abinadab's house. And best I can tell, them boys grew up around the ark of God being at the house. They, at least a good part of their life, it was there. And it come time, David called for the ark of God to be moved to its proper place. And instead of doing it the way God had designed, that stage be run through the ringlets there, and the, the priests were to carry the ark, instead of doing it God's way, no, they did it the way of the world. They did it the way that the Philistines had done it. They built an ark. And I really believe, uh, Brother Chris, it was probably an elaborate ark it was, or a card. It was probably a very fancy card. I believe these boys desired to serve God, and I believe they wanted God to be pleased with their work and with their effort, but the problem was they didn't do it God's way. They did it the way of the world, and they built that cart, and they placed the ark of God on the cart, got two fine oxen to pull it. They got a team of oxen to pull uh, that ark and pull that cart. And as they're pulling it away, the oxen stumble. And Uzzah put forth his hand to steady it. And your King James Bible says this, God smote him there for his error, and there he died. Amen. We got a lot of folks that have left our ranks that have left the truth, that have turned their back on the truth they've heard most of their life. And usually that's the case. It's folks who have been brought up in the same preaching, under the same teaching that we've had, and they've turned their backs, they've walked away from it because of emotions, because of whatever the reason, and they've learned from the ways of the world how to draw a crowd, and they want to draw a crowd and build numbers and build a, a name for themselves and build a legacy, and that's what it's really all about, and they've learned from the ways of the world. But everything that's growing ain't alive. Several years ago, we were in South Louisiana. Me and my wife and kids, and we were in Livingston, Louisiana. And uh, I don't guess that's really South Louisiana, about Central Louisiana. And uh, we were in Livingston, Louisiana, and we were standing at the church, been preaching there. And we pulled out one day, and y'all know, as preachers said, I'm from Georgia. We do things a little bit different where I'm from. A hog had been hit. Big hog. I told Ginger it's fresh. I said, that, that hog ain't been dead, but just maybe 15, 20 minutes. I said, that's fresh. I said, church got a smoker. I said, we can take 10 minutes. I said, I can throw that hog in the back of the truck, and we can turn around, take it, and prep it, and smoke at, and this time tomorrow we can be eating, really, high on the hog. We'll be doing good. She said, you ain't getting that hog. I married a Georgia girl. Your wives may be different. That's okay. She said, we ain't getting that hog. I said, no, come on now. I said, it's fresh. I said, ain't nothing wrong with that meat. It's a clean kill. Looks like probably hitting its head. It's, it's good. It ain't all busted up. That'd be good hog. She said, we ain't getting that hog. I'll give you two guesses, and the first one don't count as to who didn't get a hog that day. Amen. We didn't get no hog. But a couple days later, we passed by again. And this time that hog wasn't just a, a good fat hog. He was a swole hog. He had grown. He had 
he had first-time attenders that I had never seen before. There were visitors there that wasn't there the last time I was by. It was growing. Some would say it this way, as busting at the seams with excitement and activity. There were things going on on the inside that I couldn't see and I didn't care to see, but there were things going on on the inside of that hog, and it was full of events and full of activities, and they had programs for young and old. They had all sorts of things going on inside that hog, and all oh, you some would say, oh, it's growing. Look at the growth that they're having. But it wasn't but a few days later we passed by, and let me tell you, I know this is gross. I know this is nasty, but that hog had busted open, and you could see the rot. You could see the disgust. You could see the stench that was inside their folly shall proceed no further you will hey give it some time and this emergent church crowd that say oh we're growing but they're bringing in the world the things of the world you give it some time and their folly shall be made manifest in all you'll see the filth you'll see the wickedness you'll see the ungodliness that's really on the inside the corruption that is causing them to swell I don't ever want to become that I don't want any part of that. I'd rather just keep on trucking, keep eating the good things of God that God's blessed us with out of the Word of God and have just a few. I'm going back to Scotland, Lord willing, here in just a few weeks, God, God willing. And I'm just going back to just a few. But a few that want to learn the Word of God, you can do something with I'd rather have a few with a heart for God than a church full with a heart full of deceit, with a heart full of lies, with a heart full of, of wrongdoing and sinful, wicked, ungodly mess. I'd rather deal with just a few. He said, continue. Continue thou. Continue in your stand. Continue in your service. Keep serving God the way God has you to serve Him. You know what? These songs we sing, some of them I didn't know, but I sure did like them. One of, one of the things I, I realized a long time ago, but this morning just saying a little bit extra loud in my heart, these songs, though they weren't familiar to me, they were very familiar to me. Amen. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? I didn't know them here, but in here, the Holy Ghost of God sang them in my heart, and they ministered to me, and they helped me. These old songs, these we, we call them the songs of Zion, have ministered to God's people through the years. You know where we got them from? He said, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Can I tell you who we learned these from? We learned them from the saints that came over from Great Britain and brought the gospel here. That's where we learned them from. A lot of these songs that we sing were songs that they brought with them from the old country and they brought them here. You know where they learned them from? They learned them when, the, when men and women brought the gospel to the United Kingdom and brought it up through Europe. They learned the songs from them. Though they may not be the song, same in tune, they may not be the same in exact words, they are same in their message, they are the doctrine that we have learned from years and years ago, we know of whom we have learned, this music that's brought in today is a strange sound it's a strange noise to God's people, the spirit of God's not stirred, you say oh it's exciting, yes your flesh is stirred but the spirit of God is not stirred within you uh, the lights that they put up, man alive I, I, you say well what we need we need, we need lights, we need more lights and, hey every church can deal with 
more lights, I understand that. But when they put up these blue lights and these pink lights and these purple lights, you've seen them, haven't you? I tell you what I feel like. I'm just being real honest with you. I want to be careful here because I know children are here. But I feel like I've walked into somebody's bedroom and I feel like I ought to shelter my eyes at fear of the, of the sensuality that is on God's platform on the pulpit. They've turned the platform, the place where the man of God stands behind the sacred desk, they've turned it into a sensualization and emotional driven mess. I'm tired of seeing it. I'm sickened by seeing it. You can't serve God just how you want to. There is a way. He continues, he says, you fully know my doctrine, still in verse 10, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. As I read that list, what I hear is, Paul said, you've known my sorrow. You can't go through all those things without having sorrow. Anybody here ever had any sorrow in their life? We all have. Man born a woman, quoted this morning, you have days full of trouble. You live any length of Christianity, you're going to suffer some persecutions. You're going to suffer sorrow in your life. There's a lot of people, you'll knock doors and you'll hear people, well, I got hurt in church. You ever heard that? Maybe you said it. But again, if you've been in church any length of time, you could probably say that about yourself. I've been, I've been hurt in church. Brother Glenn, I've been hurt. I've been hurt by preachers. I've been hurt by church members. I've been hurt by deacons. I've been hurt in church. But a hurt that don't let you be a help to somebody else is a hurt that will destroy you. If you'll learn to let the hurt help you to help somebody else when they face the problems that you faced, God will use that. He said, you've known my sorrow. You can't know somebody's sorrow that is actively serving God without knowing sympathy as well. Right. Well, like you said, as a young preacher... I would hammer so hard on faithfulness, and I still believe it. But as a young man, I said, there's no excuse to ever, ever miss church. But I didn't have health problems, had good eyesight, had a good back, didn't have a wife, didn't have kids. And it's easy to make bold statements when you don't have real life that you're dealing with. But over the years, I've learned. I have missed some church. Didn't want to. Back in 2001, I was in a car accident. They didn't think I'd walk. And I missed some church because of my back. I physically wasn't able to go. I've talked with senior saints when I pastored and we'd have revival and they'd say, Preacher, can we move the time just a little bit? I tried to always accommodate our, our, our working men and women and say, well, they're going to work late, they're going to need to change. But then the senior saints compelled me to say, you know, it's hard for us to drive late at night. Could we have revival services not in the wintertime when it's darker earlier so I can drive home safe? And you start to become sympathetic toward people. 
He said, you've known my sorrow, Timothy. Timothy continued to be sympathetic. You know what we need? I've been in churches. Brother Bell, if I named it, I wouldn't have to name it. You probably know who I'm talking about without saying much. But I watched a man, I watched a preacher, I watched a church. Man, they were compassionate to the gospel. They were compassionate to the law. So they preached sin. Nail it to the wall. They weren't afraid to call sin by its name and deal with it. And I thank God for that. But there was a church full of compassionate people. When a sinner walked in, I watched them. I'd watch them many times. I'd watch deacons sit on the pew and weep and beg God, God save that individual that came in. God deal with I watch. I watch the saints of God. I watch women get up out of their pew at invitation and go and weep with a sinner and beg them, would you please go to the altar? Is God dealing with you at all? If God's dealing with you at all, today's the day to get saved. I watched that growing up. But I also watched them turn. And bitterness sent in. I can't tell you all the reasons why I can speculate, but I'm telling you they changed. And sympathy went out the door. They maintained truth. They maintained the integrity of truth, but they, were, they ceased to be sympathetic toward others. I've watched it over and over again in churches across this land. I need you, church. My children need you. You better get there's sinners that will walk through that door that need you to be sympathetic. They need you to be loving and tender and kind. We've lost that in America. We're on the defense because we're afraid that they're going to hate us for just being who we are. That when they come in, we've already... About two months ago, I ran across at a, at a shop my first encounter with an individual that their name tag said their name and it was a color. I don't even remember what color it was. Autumn, do you remember? Anyway, no matter. It was color, wasn't even, you know, wasn't a normal, it wasn't, it was weird. But under it, it said they, them. First time I'd seen that. Pastor Bell, I, in me, the Georgia boy in me, wanted to state my case and tell them how they were wrong. But the Holy Spirit of God wouldn't let me. Instead, what God dealt with me about and what I'm glad I obeyed Him called their name, and I said, has anybody told you today how much you're loved? He said, no. I said, well, let me tell you how much you're loved. I said, you're loved so much that a holy God left heaven and put on a robe of flesh, lived a life without sin, laid his life down on an old rugged cross and died for you. Three days, three days later, because He is God, rose from the dead. He's making intercession for you and wants you to be saved. I said, that's how much you're loved. I said, God loves you. I said, I love you. I said, I'm praying for you. And tears welled up in their eyes. I said, thank you, I needed that. Most of the time, what that crowd is looking for is love. They know what they're doing is wrong. I got a phone call this morning from a preacher. I wasn't going to share this, but I want to tell you, I got a phone call from a preacher this morning. Before we come to church, he said, pray for us, preacher. He said, my son came in Friday and told us he's sodomite. I don't know all the story there. I know enough of it that my heart breaks. But we've pitted this thing. It's them and us. 
And we're at enmity with them. We're against them. Not against them, I'm against what they're doing. We've talked about the grotesqueness of their sin. We've told them how vile and wicked and ungodly their sin is. But can I be honest with you? Their problem the same problem your problem is. They march to theirs. They call it pride parade. Pride. That's the source of their problem. That's the source of your problem. That's the source of my problem. It's our stinking pride. God hates pride. Mine, yours, and theirs. And if anybody ought to know the struggle with pride, it's God's people. I ain't saying dismiss their sin. But be sympathetic that their pride has them deceived. Just like your pride had you deceived before you come to Christ. Just like mine had me deceived before I come to Christ. We need to learn to be sympathetic. Why does all this matter? Why? What is, what, why continue? Why, why keep on doing what we've done? What is, what is the reason? Does God, does God have any say in, in why this matters? Well, when I grew up, my daddy... When I would ask him why, he gave an answer probably some of your daddies gave. Anybody know what that is? Anybody ever heard it? You ask your daddy why? Because I said so. And that was a sufficient answer, wasn't it? And if it wasn't a sufficient answer, you may be swallowing your teeth before sundown. Because I said, the Lord sort of gives this answer here in verse number 15. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. He puts a comma there. He very well could have put a period. Because God said so is enough. You know why we ought to continue? Because God said so. Scripture mandates it. Scripture demands that you continue. Scripture demands that you keep... There's no other instruction than what we've been given here. There's no extra biblical instruction. Bible, we have the Bible on it. We have Scripture on it. That's all we need. Scripture mandates that we continue. Then he says, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He said, able to make thee wise. Wisdom is sound advice. It's something that you do that is sound. He's given us a sound mind, amen. He's given us a sound wisdom in his word. It's sound that you continue. It is foolish and unwise and unholy and ungodly to find that you've continuing in what your grandparents and great-grandparents have, have continued in in their doctrine and what your preachers continued in in his doctrine and what, what Christians through the ages, what their doctrine has continued in. It's foolish for you to say, well, I know this, and this has served God's people well, but I'm going to leave it. That's not even sound. That, that's insanity. There, there's nothing sound about that. But then he says it's able to make thee wise in salvation. You ought to continue simply because you're saved. There are things in my life that when I got saved, March the 12th, 1991, that changed instantaneous. No longer did mom and daddy have to plead with me and beg me and beat me at times to go to church. I wanted to go. I couldn't wait to go. I was excited to go. Nobody had to beg me to tell somebody about Jesus. I got saved, and that next morning I called my nephew, who's three months older than me. I didn't know how to do it, preacher. I didn't know uh, what I was supposed to say or how I was supposed to say it, but I picked the phone up. I called him. When he answered, I said, Stephen, if you don't get saved, you're going to die and go to hell. 
I didn't know there was some tact needed in that. I didn't know there was a right way, but I knew I had to warn him. I knew I had to tell him. And being saved ought to cause you to continue to follow the Word of God without anybody having to plea with you, to beg you, to pull you along. Just because you're saved ought to be enough. Verse number 16, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. He says profitable for doctrine. And he says for reproof. You know what we know what doctrine is? It's teaching. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for instructing, but teaching. Your teaching is what on the word of God is where you get your doctrine from. Then he says for reproof. So here's what reproof is. I, after I have Autumn's 20, Autumn has received a lot of teaching, a lot of Hodnet doctrine through the years, if I can put it that way. She has been indoctrinated by the Hodnet family. She knows what we believe in our home and how we function in our home. She knows those things. There are things that she knows you may get away with doing, but she can't get away with doing. All right? Reproof is this. Reproof is when she goes contrary to the doctrine or to the teaching, then I say, hey, stop that. Sometimes a little more gentle. Sometimes it's more rough. I kind of moderated between the, the two. You're welcome. But reproof is stop doing that. Don't do that anymore. That's reproof. Then it says for correction. Correction is she's ignored the teaching. She's ignored her doctrine. She's been spoken to to correct things. She didn't, so then correction comes in. I don't have a switch, and I'm not taking my belt off. But correction, yes. Correct, let me... You volunteering to help demonstrate the rest of it too? <laughs> correction is this. Y'all understand? That's correction. You're over here. We're going to line things back up. We're going to get things back in place. You're going to get an alignment. You ain't got to go to the chiropractor for it. You're going to get an alignment. <laughs> Amen. That's correction. Then a good mother and a good father does this. Let me tell you how to never have to have that again. I've told my children since the day one, you don't ever have to get another spanking. If you'll just obey with gladness the first time. Say, why gladness? Because attitude matters and they've got whoopings for attitudes. With gladness. Obey with gladness the first time. Do what you're supposed to do. Do your job. You don't have to have it. That's instruction in righteousness. Telling them how they can avoid this ever again in their life. The Bible goes on to say that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. It's not that he's perfect or I'm perfect or any other preacher that will stand in this pulpit is perfect. But we have a perfect word. And so when doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness is given, it's not our opinion. It's not here. It's not an intellectual thing of what we think. It is given from this. So with this, Pastor, we have 
the perfect words and the perfect plan and the perfect principle and all that is perfect in our doctrine, in our reproof, in our correction, in our instruction in righteousness, that we are truly furnished with this. So when the preacher preaches and has to deal with you, it's not, oh, well, that's what he thinks. That's his opinion. No, it's God's opinion. And God's opinion matters. Amen? Above everything else, it matters. Doctrine above all matters. Above finances, above family, and above friends, doctrine matters. And when the man of God is preaching from the Word of God, he is preaching that for your benefit, and God is showing His perfect love to you through the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God when He tries to help you. That's what that means. Why do we need you to continue? Because a perfect holy God requires it. I don't know you, church, but I love you. And I'm praying for you, and I hope you'll pray for us. Whether there's ever any financial support, and honestly, Pastor, if I can say it this way, I don't care. I really don't. I'm at that point. I've realized many years ago, it's not churches that sustain us, it's God. I don't care. I'm not here to say, well, I need your support. But I do need your prayers. And I need this. If you ever hear that Jody Hodnett's slipping, call me on the floor on it. And I mean that. I need you to. We are lacking in our day. We are lacking an independent Baptist movement. We are lacking accountability. Nobody wants to say anything anymore. Because the world scared us. They've got us so afraid to say anything. I walked into a bathroom at Zaxby's a few weeks ago, and you know how they got that frosted glass? Y'all been in the Zaxby's? Y'all probably ain't been in Zaxby's out here, but some of you have. They got a frosted glass when you go in the bathroom, and you kind of see through it, but you can't see through it. And I could see there was a figure in there, and as they moved, I could tell, you know, it was a woman. But I was at the men's restroom, and I needed to get in there. So I easily opened the door, and she looked at me shocked. And I said, ma'am, I said, this is the men's room. I said, I know we ain't supposed to ask anymore. I said, but I'm pretty sure you ain't supposed to be in here. She said, no, I thought I was in the women's. And she ran out. But the world's got us scared to ask anything and say anything. And it's carried over in their churches. Now we're afraid to say anything. We see somebody slipping, somebody doing wrong, somebody going off in error. We, well, we just need to pray for them. No, say something. Say something. Call them out. Deal with them. They are, they are a lot of times, just like you and I, when we do wrong, we're waiting. We're waiting. We're begging somebody to call our name and deal with it and, and make it known that they know we're doing wrong. And maybe, maybe, some will save with compassion, other with fear, snatching them from the fire. Amen. Pray for us. We'll pray. I'll turn to the preacher.